This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. I want to think about God's time because people have a problem with that. When is God's time? And so as we do that today, I want to look at the book of Acts, chapters 9, 10, and 11 primarily, because what's going to happen here is God's going to bring two guys together. And one's name is Barnabas. And we know this about Barnabas. First of all, we know that he was a great encourager because his very name means encourager. We also know that... um, He was very generous, if you look at Acts chapter 4. And the Lord is going to bring Barnabas together with this man, Saul. And Saul was a Pharisee who at one time hated the very name of Jesus Christ. He hated Christ. You remember Saul. That's his Hebrew name. His Gentile name is Paul. And he would become the Apostle Paul. And he and a couple of, I I, I guess they got to be kind of heavies or big bruisers because they're on the way to the city of Damascus, just north of Israel. And they're going to go into homes and they're going to drag people out of homes. And so these guys had to be kind of heavies, you know, big bruiser type guys to drag them out of these homes. And they're going to throw them in the slammer so so they don't speak about the risen Christ. And so Paul's on the road to Damascus, and I'm sure most of you know this. The risen Christ confronts him in, in blinding light. And he calls him by his name. He says, Saul... He said, Saul, and then there was a moment of hesitation. Then he said, Saul. He said, Saul again, and Saul knew he was in deep weeds, I'll tell you. And then Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, I've never done anything to you personally. Yeah, you did, Saul. You're hurting my beloved. You're hurting my church. And in that way, you're hurting me. I like that. There's identification with the suffering of his church. Jesus said, you're hurting my church. You're hurting my beloved. You're hurting me. And then Saul said, what? Now, this is very important. He said, what? What do you want? You know what he said? Lord. What do you want? What do you want, Lord? Acts 9, 5, he called him Lord. And you can see the change happening. And the Lord tells Saul, for right now, I just want you to go to Damascus. Now, that light had blinded Saul. Saul is blind. I just want you to go to Damascus and just wait there, and I'll tell you what to do. And so these kind of bruiser type guys, you know, they they know he's blind. And he says, take me to Damascus. I'm not even sure they heard the Lord. The Lord spoke to Saul. And he says, take me to Damascus, to this one given place. And they take him. And he's there for three days. And he's fasting. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He's blind. He just sat and he thought. Now, you got to get this. Please get this. It was God's time. I mean, this was God's time. Saul is about to become the great apostle Paul in God's time. See, Saul was blind. 
He couldn't read the Old Testament scriptures. And you got to know something else. Paul was an expert. He was a Pharisee. He was trained from the time of childhood. He was a student of Gamaliel, the greatest of all teachers. He knew those scriptures upside down and inside out. If anybody in the world knew those Old Testament scriptures, Saul knew them. But there he is, blind for a time, fasting, no Bible, can't read. I'll bet he sat there and he dwelt on those Old Testament scriptures he knew so well. And then God lifted the veil. See, the light shined. The light shined, first of all, into Saul's brain, and then it filtered down from his brain into his heart. I don't know this for a fact. The Bible doesn't say this, but I would stand here and just about bet that at some point Saul said, during those three days, he said, all these scriptures are about Jesus. And I never saw that. He said, every one of these scriptures are about Jesus. And my whole life, I missed that. He said, I couldn't see that. What a moment. What a revelation, man. You got to experience this to know it. Now listen to this. After three days, this is in Acts 9, God sends his servant Ananias to Saul. And in Acts 9, this is verse 17. Let me just read this to you. Then Ananias, he was God's agent. He went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. I mean, can you see the dramatic change? And after taking some food, he regained strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples or followers of Jesus in Damascus. I mean, these people were, were, were afraid of Saul and, and his men who were coming to drag him out of their homes. I mean, the, the name of Saul just bred fear in you, and now he's fellowshipping with these same people. Now, hold on. Listen to this, verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Now look at this. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Those three days, he said, all these scriptures are about Christ. And so he goes into the synagogues and starts teaching the Jews, this is all about Jesus. You're not seeing it. And he convinced them, see? You would think, I mean, Saul is, I mean, you, you, you would think that God would turn Saul loose. And now we're getting to the main point. And God would say, go preach it, man. I mean, Saul is so changed. He is so pumped up for Jesus Christ. And God tells him, go back to the place you were born, the city of your birth in Tarsus, which was in Arabia then, and just wait. And Paul says this in Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. And I'm reading in verse 15. He says, I did not consult any man, that's verse 16, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. He was obedient to God. I, I did what he said. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately to Arabia where God told me and later returned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter for three years. I mean, this guy is in isolation for three years. I mean, think about it. Saul was good. I mean, he knew the scriptures. He was intelligent. He was a great debater. He had a quick mind. It would just make sense. Turn this guy loose. I mean, he was ready, Freddie. And what does God say? He says, no, go back home for three years or go back home until, until, until I release you more or less. And so he does. And what did he do for those three years? Well, he was a tent maker. And tent makers make tents. 
And maybe you say to yourself, what a waste. What a waste of talent. What a waste of time. See, uh, you want to bet that Saul spent every spare moment he had, or just about every spare moment he had, studying those scriptures that were old, but they had become so new to him. As much as this one-time Pharisee knew about the scriptures, God showed him things in that word that Saul never saw before. And he's just, I can just see him just eating that stuff up. And I think after about three years, I mean, just putting myself in his position, I think he got a little antsy. I think he got a little antsy to go out there and preach that word of God. I mean, it was just building him and he was ready to explode. And that's where Barnabas comes in. Barnabas, the great encourager, because the, 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 the church in the, in, the, in the city of Antioch was exploding. It was, it was just growing with, with Gentile converts. And so the church leaders sent Barnabas to Antioch to kind of organize this thing and bring it all together. And they said, you can't do this. You can't do this on your own. You need help. And we'll let you choose your own guy. Who are you going to choose? And he says, I want Saul. Saul. Oh, yeah, yeah. We forgot about him. Where is he? He's back home in Tarsus. And this is Acts chapter 11, verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And so in God's time, Barnabas, God put it in the heart of Barnabas to go to this man and get him when he was ready. Maybe you say, why am I still single? Why do I still have the same job? I pray and I work at it. Or maybe you say, I'm really trying with my husband or my wife. I'm staying home. I'm paying more attention. I'm trying not to be picky. I'm praying about this and he and she isn't changing. Do the promises of God apply to everyone else and not to me? And that's an easy question to ask. And all it is is self-pity. And I look at David in Psalm 22 just to show you that this goes way back in time. In Psalm, in Psalm 22, David says... He writes this under inspiration of God, Psalm 22, verse 4. In you, our fathers put their trust, meaning as ancestors, ancestors, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and they were saved. In you, they trusted and they were not disappointed. Look at verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by men and despised by the people. You delivered them, but not a worm like me. Here I am, Lord. You know, pay some attention to me. What about me? So this has been going on for a long time. Well, Saul, soon to be Paul, is so on fire for Christ, and God makes him wait, and it doesn't make sense. And see, this message is about God's time. His time is always the right time. God, listen, you've got to know this. God is never early. He is never late. And here's a big deal. He's not in a hurry. And you are. Man, I need to learn that. We all need to learn that. So let's look this morning at some principles to help us understand waiting for and accepting God's timing. And, and the first, I, I believe, is the most important. We're going to look at four quick principles, but the first is most important. To understand, to accept God's timing for your life, we have to understand the character of God himself. If you're going to, I'll say that again. If we're going to accept God's perfect time for our life, the events of our life, then we have to know, we have to understand, we've got to understand the character of God himself. The first thing is God is eternal. Now, what do we mean by God is eternal? I think the best passage on the fact that God is eternal 
is in Psalm 90. In Psalm 90, verse 2, you don't have to look at this. I got it right here. It says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He was never created. He always was. He's never going to cease to exist. He goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And see, I have no problem with this then, that God's immortal and he's going to keep going and going and going and going because God has given us through Jesus Christ that gift of immortality. Everyone's going to live forever in one place or another. And I, I pray, I pray it's in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're all going to live forever. So I have no problem with that end. Where I have the problem is with this end. That God was never created. Oh, I believe it. I'm not questioning it for a moment. It's just that I have a mind that wants to uh, get a hold of that. Yeah, I drive around thinking about stuff like this. Stay out of my way, I'll tell you. I mean, I realize, seriously, I, I drive around thinking about this. I, and I say, God, how can you be? How can you exist without ever having begun? From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, that's what that is. You're never going to accept God's time, God's perfect timing in your life, unless you deal with this. And this may be a little bit deep, but, but you got to know where God exists. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. God exists in the eternal present, but he's also existing in the past, and he's also existing in the future. We call that the eternal present. And here's the way I try and understand it. Here's God in his eternal present. He sees, he knows everything that's happened in your life. And he sees and knows everything that is going to happen in your life. He sees your whole future. He sees what has happened, what is happening, everything that will happen to you. That's what it means that God is eternal. Now, here's something else. You, you, add, you add this to the fact that God is eternal. God is omniscient. That's a big word. It means God knows all things. It comes from the word omni, which means know, which means all, and science, which means knowledge. God knows all things. You know, I think about Jonah. God told him to preach to the people of Nineveh. Remember that story? And Jonah didn't want to do it. So what did Jonah do? He ran away. He ran away. He just kept running the other direction, the, the direction away from where God wanted him to go. And, and he, 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 he goes all across the Mediterranean Sea and gets, it gets to Spain or Tarshish. And he, and he finds a ship and he goes down to the very bottom of the ship. He's running from God and he thinks he's safe down there. And God knows exactly where he is. And they throw him overboard and obviously the whale or the great fish picks him up. And see, God knew exactly where he was. Now this is going somewhere. He is omniscient. He knows right where we are. And don't forget this. We got to add this. God's nature is agape, and agape means perfect love. He loves you as his child with a love beyond words. And that makes God very, very personal, okay? He doesn't just see your future. That's his eternal, that's his eternal nature. He doesn't just know where you are. That's God's omniscience. He cares. That's his agape love. And he sees and wills the best possible future for you. And that's why things don't change right away when you don't want when you want them to change. That's why things don't happen in your time. They happen in God's time because from his eternal present, he sees what's coming down the road of your life and he wills the best possible future for you. Now, you have a free will. You can walk out of that best possible future. But God's trying to bring that about. He wants to bring that about. 
Now, put all this together. God from his eternal presence sees your whole future. He knows all things. He knows where you are right now. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your fears. He knows you need a job. He knows you want this out of your life. He knows all that stuff. And he is love. And he cares about you. He's personal. And so let me just take a scenario. Let's say that you've, um, you're lonely and you've prayed, you've prayed for God to send a guy or girl into your life. And you've been obedient. You've been obedient. You haven't slept around. And then this guy or lady comes into your life and they're really trying to schmooze you into marriage, but they're not a believer and you make a decision. You say, no, I can't marry this person because I'm not going to become unequally yoked. And so you've been obedient to God. I mean, you've done everything you could from your perspective. And it's not happening. You're still lonely. Why? Because God sees your future. He knows all the stuff down the road of your life is going to affect you. He has personal love for you and me. He loves you like no person. He is so in love with you. He, know, he loves you like no person alive. And he knows the moment, the very second, to make something happen in your life or to take it away, to bring about your best possible future. So here's the big deal. Here's the question. Why would we ever question God's timing? When you think like that, why? When, 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 when you dwell on God, see, you've got to dwell on God. And when you dwell on those aspects of God's character, then you can wait for his perfect timing. Second principle to help us wait for God's time. When you think God isn't working, he is, man, I'll tell you. When you think he isn't working, I got to say that again, he is. Do you ever feel like God has you on hold? See, I think Saul could have felt that way. God had big plans for him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But after three years of making tents, three years of nothing happening, you know, I think Saul kind of wondered, God, when are you going to turn me loose? And that happens. And it's easy then to begin pitying yourself too. Oh, poor me. God takes care of everybody else. But I guess I'm not all that important. And that's from the devil too, because the devil's going to whisper that, whisper that in your ear. He's saying, look at all those other people got their issues all taken care of, and you're still going through your issue. I guess you're not so important to God. The devil will tell you that. I mean, let's go back to Jonah. I mean, he's in the belly of a great fish for three days. Those days must have seemed like an eternity to know Jonah, those three days. Um, I mean, to Jonah, it seemed like the fish is going up and down, north and south, east and west. But what do we know? As I look at Jonah, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The whole time he was sloshing around. He felt like he was going nowhere, aimless, adrift on that huge ocean, okay, the Mediterranean Sea. And all the time, what was happening? That great fish was going a direction, exactly where God wanted it to go. He wasn't aimless on the sea, you know, being tossed this way and that way and everything else. The fish was going right where God wanted it to go and right at God's time and right where God wanted it to happen, the great fish spit him up. And so right now you're going through a situation. You write the story here. It's like you're in a whale's belly and you don't see him of any direction. What's God trying to tell us? He's moving you. Think about this, please. Maybe your life is unraveled a little bit right now, okay? Or maybe your life is unraveling. See, maybe God's taken you apart for a reason, to put you back together again his way. Or maybe the Father in heaven wants you to confess his Son as your Savior, and before you do that, he's got to get you to a point where your inner resources just don't cut it. But when you think your life is adrift, believe me, you're going a direction. God is working. You've got to know that. You've got to know that. The Bible tells that. Third point to help us accept God's timing 
is this. Um, what are the greatest growth times in your life? Think about the greatest growth times in your life. When you're trouble-free, you say, oh, I'm so blessed. Guess what? You're not growing. You're not. Oh, maybe a little bit. I mean, you got your house, you got your job, you got your family, you got your health, you got your income. Oh, I am so blessed, you say, but you're not growing. Because hear this now, hear this, the times of your greatest spiritual growth are the times God doesn't take your problem away, but you have to live with it, you have to endure it, and you have to go through it, okay? You mature spiritually when you endure. Now, now, now here's the point. There's stuff I have no control over. There's stuff you have no control over. I can relate to David. Can you? He was king over Israel. His own son Absalom undermined him. His own son Absalom wanted David's kingdom. And as I read Psalm 55, it's a psalm written to this, or during this circumstance. Um, David is on the run from Absalom, fleeing his own kingdom. And he writes in Psalm 55, and this is verse 1. He says, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. I mean, he is intense. He's very earnest here. Listen to my prayer. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. That's verse 2. Now look at verse 2. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught in my complaint. Your NIV Bible, if you have that, will not say that. But if you have a King James or New King James, it will. Don't you love that David complains? Now, I don't want to complain to other people, especially because that's a very poor witness. It's so neat. We can complain to God. I like this, God. Get it out of my life. We have that right as God's children. David complained. As you read Psalm 55, you're going to understand that David had reached his limit with this Absalom deal, and, and he understood this is not going away. A lot of times we think, oh, this is going away. David understood. That's why I wrote Psalm 55. He said, this thing is not going away. And the Holy Spirit, through David, gave us a gem in Psalm 55, 22. The Word of God says this. It says, cast your cares, look at this, on the Lord, and He will sustain you. Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. What does that mean, the word sustain? It means this thing, whatever it is, isn't going away. And you're asking, you're, you're casting this on God so that he will sustain you or take you through it. See, and when you do that, we understand this, or we come to some understandings. We understand that we need to pray. And sometimes it's our only recourse. We just need to lay this thing before God and even complain before God, but we need to lay this thing before God and we need to trust him. We need to trust him. See, God is eternal. From his eternal presence, he sees what's going on and he sees our very best future. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what you're feeling, but he waits to take the burden away until you cast your care on him and learn to trust and learn to pray about it. And so we grow best and we endure. That's the, um, that's the third principle. How can you accept God's time? How can you wait for God to make it happen? How can, how can we learn those things? Number one, you focus on God's character. Eternal, omniscient, loving, personal. You understand that when you think God isn't working like Jonah and the great fish he is, the whale was moving a direction, you believe that we grow the most when we have to endure and when you're going through times that are really good, and you're not challenged, and you got to understand, you're not growing as much. You, you just got to 
take that as a fact. You are not growing as much spiritually, okay? And then here's the last point to help us accept God's time. Know and believe that these times of waiting for God to move are times when he's preparing us. Those are times of preparation. When things aren't happening, they are happening. God's preparing you. He's preparing you. See, Saul was on fire for Christ. We read that in Acts. And as soon as a scale fell, fell off his eyes, he went to the synagogue and he debated with the Jewish hardliners. I mean, Paul was smoking for the Lord. And then God told him, he said, go back home. Go back to Tarsus. I mean, he is so on fire for Jesus. He's saying, turn me loose. And God tells him, go back home and make tents and I'll come for you when I'm ready. Because here's what God knew. Saul thought he was ready. But guess what? God knew he wasn't ready. God knew he wasn't ready for the purpose God had for him. He needed to learn some things. And when Saul learned what God wanted him to learn, then God brought Barnabas into the picture. And that's when God turned him loose. And you want it to happen right now. Look at it like this. You are not ready. And God's getting you ready. Today we've seen Saul turned on for Christ, waiting for God to turn him loose. Then you've got to consider God's character. He's eternal. He sees your future. He knows your heart. He knows what you're going through. And his love is very personal. Now, do you think his time is the right time? I mean, put that all together. Whose time is the right time? Yours or his? Come on. Secondly, remember, he hasn't forgotten you. When you think God's not working, he is. Maybe Jonah thought God was silent. His life had no direction. The, the, the fish was going up and down and hither and yon. But, but the fish was moving to the exact place God wanted Jonah to be. But you grow through times of endurance. And that's the third principle. And the last principle is this. God's preparing you. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.